We're in a uh, series this month on financial peace, and we're calling it Life, Money, and Legacy. It's right out of the Dave Ramsey handbook. We let Dave speak for us last week, and today we're going to continue. Now, there are five principles that Dave Ramsey has identified. This is what makes him next-level genius. He takes what's complicated, makes it simple so average folks like us can comprehend it. These five things. Get on a budget, get on a budget, get out of debt. We're going to talk about that today. Get out of debt, build great relationships because relationships affect everything in life, including your money, save and invest, and then give generously. Those five principles tend toward success in life, tend toward prosperity in life. It's, uh, It's really good. So... These five things are the themes around which we are building these messages during this series, and today we want to talk about breaking the chain of debt. I've chosen as our text this morning from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6. I'm going to read the first five verses of Proverbs 6, so if you have your Bibles, you can be turning there. And while you're turning, let me just pause for a moment to celebrate the Christmas offering which we just received, as you've seen in your bulletin, perhaps it went over $64,000. That is a huge response. Give yourself a hand. Thank God for that. That is a wonderful response. Thank you for your generosity. God only knows how many lives are going to be blessed and touched and helped as a result of these offerings. So thank you so much for that. It was very encouraging. I hope hope, uh, you feel good about it too. All right, Proverbs chapter 6. Let's talk about breaking the chains of debt for just a few moments this morning. Our custom is to stand when we hear God's word, so as you're able, thank you for doing that. These are the words of Solomon, who's described as the wisest man. And so, my son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, co-signed a loan or taken out a personal loan, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth, Do this, my son, to free yourself. Since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands, go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Now may God enlighten us, inspire us today through his word. You may be seated. Thank you so much. You're probably aware that if a lie is told, a falsehood is brought forth, and that lie is told long enough and told repeatedly enough, if it's reinforced enough, if it's brought to us with sophistication and uh, a slick marketing campaign, if it's done passionate enough, if it's presented in a compelling enough way that what we know happens when we hear a common message long enough, loud enough, we actually start to believe it. Now, we don't always find ourselves aware of it. Gee, I, I think I'm, I've embraced a lie. I must be deceived. I mean, we, we don't stumble around like that. But it happens to us gradually, seductively. It pulls us in. And before long, an entire culture, this happens in all kinds of categories, an entire culture then can believe something to be true 
That's not true at all. Not true or right. And I want to just challenge you to think about that for a little bit today. And all of that being said, uh, we've got to be alert. and We've got to be astute. and We've got to be circumspect. And we've got to be discerning. And we've got to sort out what the truth is. Because the truth is what sets us free. Lies only deceive and infetter us into behaviors and patterns that aren't helpful. So with regard to personal finance and money, what we have discovered is that today's prominent culture practices things that are in direct opposition to biblical patterns, biblical principles. It's important to know that. There's a product that has been so thoroughly marketed, promoted, that it's nearly inconceivable for most Americans to imagine living without it done such a good job of selling it that people even get angry and hateful when you challenge it. Such a deep-seated deceit that people will actually fight to defend the lie. So we have prophets like Dave Ramsey emerging now in our culture and some of his disciples like me who actually see a better way. But when Ramsey gets up and says, you know, debt is bad, debt is wrong, debt is not debt is not biblical, folks get all kinds of agitated because we've, we've embraced being in debt so wholeheartedly and it's so pervasive in our culture that we can't imagine life without it. And so we scoff at, we ridicule people who try to offer a different way. But people are starting to hear it. As I mentioned last week, 13 million people now listen to Ramsey every day on radio or the podcast, third most listened to podcast in the world. That's, that means something. Something's going on. Something's going on here. Five million copies of his book, The Total Money Maker, have been sold. That's a big number. Four and a half million people have taken Financial Peace University. Four and a half million. As I mentioned last week, if you hold out for a couple more years, you'll be the last adult who's not taken Financial Peace. You've got to sign up and take Financial Peace. You've got to do it. It's required. Just do it, man. So people are starting to hear the truth. Let's, uh, let's do a little exercise here uh, this morning if we can. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Close your eyes right now. I won't punk you. Nobody's going to get called out. Nobody's in trouble. Just close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to do something in just a moment. And if you don't know the answer, that's fine. Just guess. But everyone's going to play along. So close your eyes and keep them closed. Don't open them. Are you ready? Here's what I want you to do. Everybody point north. Point north. Okay, now open your eyes and look around where everybody's pointing. Now, you see people pointing in all kinds of directions. Now, here's something we can conclude. There are people in the room who are wrong. You agree? People are wrong. Let me, now, I, I got out my, my, uh, you know, my phone compass, and I know exactly where True North is. It's that way right there. Right there. So if you're pointing that direction, you got it right. But if you weren't, then you got it wrong. You were wrong about that. Wrong, wrong, wrong. As wrong as wrong can be. You were wrong. Now, let me tell you something about our culture. It is very difficult to say that anybody's wrong about anything. Just to hear me say it kind of puts you on edge a bit. But the fact is that if you pointed south, you were wrong. 
That's not north, that's south. If you want to go to Canada, you go that way. You can go this way, but it's the long way around to get to Canada. So, so lots of people were wrong. Now, now, I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings. You know, culture's all about feelings today. This is a post-truth culture, and, and people are all about their feelings and about what they think. Post-truth, by definition, means that what I feel and what I think is more important than the facts. Don't confuse me with the facts. It's a crazy world, isn't it? It's just nuts. And so to be able to say that someone is wrong is risky business in today's culture. And none of us get to make up the truth, regardless of what we think or how we feel. So here's the point. It's important to know the truth. Next statement's going to have an amen right after it. Ready? What you believe matters. What you believe matters. Uh-huh. The principles upon which you build your life are a big deal. Big deal. Very important. So I happen to be a follower of Jesus Christ, per, talk, talking for myself, and I happen to believe that God has given us a compass. The Bible contains God's truth. Here it is. I believe that everything necessary for our belief, the patterns of what we believe, the basic doctrines of the faith are contained in the scripture. I also believe that the moral standards and ethical practices that God calls us to, the, God's best plan for us is also found here. So what we believe and how we live is contained in the scripture. This is my compass. Now, you may not believe the Bible true. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. But this is, this is my worldview. I believe the Bible true. And so to the extent that your particular theory does not line up with the compass, you're wrong. Did you hear the, what the pastor just did? So if you don't agree with the Bible, you're wrong. You just are. You're wrong. Well, I thought the Bible says you shouldn't judge. You're so narrow-minded, so hateful, such a bigot. The Bible says don't judge people. Of course the Bible says don't judge. And, and there's any number of things we shouldn't judge people for. Judgment's not our job. Judgment's not our role when it comes to people. Well, listen to me. We pass judgment on things all the time. We make value decisions, value judgments every day, many times every day. We decide who we're going to associate with. We decide what we're going to study at school. We place value on items we're going to purchase. We place value on all kinds of associations everywhere. We do it every day, all day, every day. We constantly are passing judgment on issues and placing value on those relationships and patterns. Of course we do. So to say don't judge, are you kidding? There are lots of things that we should know the truth because the truth will set you free. You know the truth, you practice the truth. That's actually the recipe for a winning life. Jesus walked up to a fig tree one day and he was hankering for a fig. He was hungry for a fig. He walked up to a fig tree, but there were no figs on the tree. Now, the, the fig tree has one function, to fig. And the fig tree had no figs. And Jesus didn't go, oh, you poor little fig tree. Obviously, you've... you've exercising your freedom of choice and you've chosen not to make figs and that's perfectly legitimate because everybody has a right to feel and think whatever they want 
And I accept you and love you just the way you are, so God bless you, little fig tree. That's not what Jesus did. Let me tell you what he did. He cursed the tree. We don't know what language he used, but we know he cursed it. So it had to be something like blankety-blank tree. Yeah, yeah. He judged it fairly. He judged it rightly. And the tree died. So put that in your theological perspective. So we have a culture today, watch this, that preaches, markets, advertises, practices, endorses the accumulation of debt. You have to, have an ear, you have to open your mind now. Listen to this. Borrowing money has been so ingrained into the psyche and the attitudes, the expectations and practices of Americans for so long that it has become an accepted norm. Now, as a result, our FICO score has become paramount in our financial decisions. Is my, is my credit score high enough for me to borrow the money I need for that particular thing? And so we worship the FICO. Oh, FICO, you're my great provider. We worship at the altar of FICO. Thank you, FICO. You're the provider of all good things. We bring you offerings of interest for your appeasement. We bless you, O FICA. <laughs> Here's the problem, and there is a problem. There are, quote, financial experts and others out there who can argue for the benefits of borrowing, leveraging debt. They talk about OPMs, you know, use other people's money. The problem is you cannot find any rationale or permission in the Bible for such activity. The compass doesn't permit it. There's nothing positive ever said in the Bible about debt. Not one time. Not ever. It says debt makes you a slave. Debt makes you a fool. Debt brings you under a curse. That's all in the Bible. But it has, but it has nothing good to say. Now, being in debt has nothing to do with your salvation. You don't fall out of favor with God if you borrow money. God doesn't stop loving you if you borrow money. In fact, God loves foolish people. The reason we know he loves foolish people is because there's so many of us. <laughs> because we all fall into the trap. All of us make bad decisions all the time. The problem is that nowhere in Scripture is a positive word mentioned about debt. There are only warnings in Scripture and the clear mandate to avoid debt. That's all we get from Scripture about the subject. Let me put this image up on the screen just for a moment. I want you to look at it. Now... As you look at it, how many of you, by, by raising your hand, you see two faces facing each other? How many of you uh, actually see the candlestick in between? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I first look at it, I see the candlestick. But it all depends on your perspective, right? Just all depends. Yeah. Now, now, let me put this statement on the screen. A woman without her man is nothing. Now, let's add some commas. Same statement. A woman without her man is nothing. Now let's, let's add a, a colon and a comma. A woman without her man is nothing. By the way, by the way men, the last statement is the correct one. <laughs> that is the right answer. So on your way home to, today, just make sure you emphasize that. 
So by changing the colons and the commas, the meaning is changed. And you've learned something by doing something like that. Learning is good because ignorance is bad. Ignorance is actually harmful. Ignorance can get you killed. It can really hurt you. What you don't know can really damage your life. That's why we say to our children as parents, don't play in the street or don't touch that hot stove. It'll burn your hand. And so it's not about intelligence. It's about knowledge. One of the Old Testament prophets said it this way, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So it's not about intelligence. I mean, some of you have a graduate level education and a while ago I asked you to point north and you went, so it's not about intelligence, it's about knowledge. It's about knowledge. Look at this statement on the screen from Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. That's according to the compass. Look at this statement from Larry Bur Burkett, one of my favorites. We spend the first five to seven years of our marriage trying to attain the same standard of living as our parents after it took them 35 years to get there. Welcome to America. And you've heard these statistics. You know they're true. 52% of, of American marriages end in divorce, and the number one cause of divorce are issues related to money. That's not speculation. That's just real life. That's the way it works. Now, you may come up to me after the service and people want to fuss about these things. You may walk up to me and say, look, I just don't believe the borrower is the slave to the lender. Well, you would be wrong. You are wrong about that. You're just wrong. Mm -hmm. Have you ever met a generous slave? It's hard to be generous when you're not in control of your life. It's hard to win. It's hard to imagine a hopeful future if you're a slave. And the borrower is the slave to the lender, according to the compass. So the typical American family lives like this. All the money comes in, and all the money goes out. All the money comes in, then all the money goes out. And why is that? It's because we believe the lie. We thought that the best way to win with money was to borrow it. We were told this message over and over and over again. And that's why most of us practice this. The average car payment now in America is just over $500 a month. Average car payment is just over $500 a month. Did you know that $500 a month invested in a good growth stock mutual fund over 40 years will yield approximately $5 million? $5 million. <laughs> You're driving a $5 million car. How do you like that car? Let me just remind you that, that an automobile is a depreciating asset. In fact, just about anything with a motor and wheels goes down in value as soon as you buy it. And a car is no ex exception with very, very rare exceptions. This is true. It depreciates, goes down in value. Yeah, in fact, it goes down like a rock in value. That's why probably where Chevy got their slogan, like a rock. Another thing we hear people say all the time today is you can't go to college without debt. Well, you can't go to college without debt these days. Can't get through college without piling up student loans these days. Well, actually, uh, you can. If you stay in state, go to a state school, go to Ivy Tech, technical school, to build some basic credits and work while you're in school, work, 
It's a four-letter word beginning with W and ending in K. Work your way through school. Well, I can't work. You know, that my, you know I'm taking 17, 18 hours a semester. I've got some extracurricular activities. I just, I couldn't possibly get a job on top of going to school. Besides, that would affect my, affect my grades. I'm sure if I was working, I wouldn't have as much time to study. Uh, here's what research says. Research says that if you work 19 to 34 hours per week, you achieve a higher GPA than non-working students. That's not speculation. That's a fact. That's a fact. So as it turns out, working for something gives you a greater commitment to it. Shazam. Now, some of you right now are going, well, he's old. He just doesn't understand it. He doesn't understand the real world. He doesn't, he doesn't get it. He's just too old. He's out of touch. And it does sound really old school, doesn't it, what I'm saying? But this was the practice back in the day when common sense in America, usually based on biblical principles, were employed by our grandparents and our great-grandparents. I can hear my great-grandmother talking in my ear right now. She's just cheering me on because she knows it's true. Maybe you've heard this adage. We've become so self-absorbed that we borrow to buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. As it turns out, stupid, in quotes, <laughs> stupid has a gravitational pull. Let me explain. When you are in the orbit of stupid, it just keeps spinning and pulling you in. And it makes it hard to break out. Well, I, I had to get another, open another credit card account because my other two credit cards were maxed out. I couldn't borrow any more money on those. So I had to open another one. And my FICO score was good enough that I could get another credit card. That's called gravitational stupidity. Now, I don't like to use the word stupid because, you know, it's a bit demeaning. But it really is an accurate description in this case. As it turns out, in order to break free of gravitational pull, you have to exert extraordinary effort to do it. I watched a documentary a couple of weeks ago with Beth on the Apollo 8 mission. This was the first time human beings actually broke away from the gravitational pull of the earth in order to get to the moon. So this was, the, this was the Apollo mission that went to the moon for the first time, circled the moon, orbited the moon, and then came back. Uh, the, next, the next Apollo mission was when Neil Armstrong actually walked on the moon. But this was the first mission when human beings broke away from the gravitational pull. And it was interesting to listen to these physicists talk about the gravitational Im influence of the Earth. And, of course, it takes enormous energy to get into Earth orbit. But once you're in Earth orbit, it takes additional energy still to break away from the gravitational pull to go to some other, other body. And the same is true in our financial lives. Doing what you've been doing and you find yourself in this gravitational pull of debt, doing what you've been doing will not be sufficient enough energy to break you away from debt and to overcome debt. So you have to, you have to apply extraordinary, extraordinary energy and effort to do it. So we come to our text today in Proverbs chapter 6, and Solomon, a really wise man, verses 4 and 5, he said, Allow no sleep to your eyes. You're in debt, no slumber to your eyelids. If you're in debt, free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. 
So in other words, no sleep. And we know what that means. It means get to work. This is a, it's a great place to go when you're broke, to work. Go to work. And then you have to apply intensity. And the metaphor here is the gazelle. You got to go, go, go. You, can't, you, you may have wandered into debt, but you can't wander out of debt. It takes extraordinary effort. So let me just give you some practical tips. This is right out of the Dave Ramsey uh, playbook. It's on your outline there. You, you want to write this down. Here we go. The first thing is get gazelle intense. Gazelle intense. Look, look at this video. Check it out. Look at this. This is a cheetah. A cheetah can go from zero to 47 miles an hour in four leaps. Can attain a speed of 70 miles an hour. It's the fastest land mammal on the planet. That cat can run. Now, cheetahs like to eat gazelles. And so cheetahs will chase gazelles in order to eat them. They only catch the gazelle one out of 16 to 18 times. The gazelle, when it gets away, gets away because of its agility and its endurance. And one other key factor, its motivation. The cheetah is looking for lunch. The gazelle is running for its life. And that's highly motivating. You know, it took a long time to find one where the cheetah doesn't catch the gazelle. <laughs> but that would kind of ruin the illustration. <laughs> so you have to work to get out of debt as if your life depends on it. Because as it turns out, your financial life does depend on it. So you've got to get gazelle intense. You've got to, you've got to go, go, go. I mean, you've got to go. And you've got to run. You've got to run for your life. You've got to, you've got to apply yourself and give it everything you've got. That's what it means. That's what, that's what Solomon recommends. Now, here's the second thing. Write this down. Use the debt snowball. Again, this is classic Ramsey. The, the debt snowball is when you start paying down your debt smallest to largest. Smallest to largest. You make minimum payments on everything but the little one. You attack the little one with great intensity. So you pay it off first. It's the snowball effect. You start it rolling. You experience success. You build momentum. The more you succeed, the more you believe you can succeed. And so you begin snowballing your debts, beginning with the smallest and working your way. Here's the third thing. Quit borrowing money. Quit borrowing. Now, Ramsey does not equivocate on this. He, he thinks that everyone should just cut up their credit cards. He calls it a plastectomy, plastic surgery. Cut them up. Now, reasonable people may disagree on this one. He, he does not waver at all. Obviously, a responsible person with a credit card can charge items on the card and at the end of the month make a full payment and you never pay any interest on the card. And, of course, that's being responsible. So it's, it's like free money for 30 days. Okay. So responsible people could argue that that's okay. Ramsey, on the other hand, believes that credit cards are bad all the time for this reason that credit cards do not give you the emotional pain that you should feel when you use it and spend the money. He said, when you hand someone a card, they swipe it for a $50 item, you don't really feel the pain or consequences of spending $50 of your money. 
because it's just so painless emotionally. He said, if you have cash and you have to dish out $50 in cash for a particular item, that it creates the emotional pain necessary to make you sober enough to realize what you're doing. So he says, stop borrowing money. So you have to draw a line in the sand. That's a discipline that works. And again, back to Financial Peace University, you've got to get in the class and learn the steps. It's so important. Here's the next thing. Start saving. Write that down. Start saving money. In Ramsey's course, there are seven baby steps. It takes you a good long time to do all the baby steps, but there are just seven baby steps. The first baby step is to save $1,000 for an emergency fund. $1,000 is the first thing you do. Save $1,000 because the alternator in the car is going to go out. The water heater at home is going to glitch. You're going to need money for an emergency. Everybody has them. And so if you've saved $1,000 and have that in your emergency fund, now you don't have to use a credit card to get your car fixed so you can go to work. And so it's the first baby step. Save $1,000. So start saving. And that's the beginning of a saving and investing process. Next is sell something. Get out of debt. Remember, your gazelle intense, you're, you're going for it. You're running for your financial life. You want to get out of debt. One way you can do it is by selling stuff. Stuff has to go. Craigslist becomes your best friend. And remember, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. Stuff comes and goes. And everybody who has a garage here has a garage full of junk. So have a garage sale. Beth and I have done this a couple of times in our lives to liquidate debt, to just sell extra stuff that we have. You have extra stuff, we have extra stuff. And you can sell it and pay down on that credit card or pay down on that other debt that you have. Um, it's, it's important. Now, I mentioned that $500 car payment a while ago. For some of you, you may have to amputate the Tahoe. Jeez, well, I just bought a car last year. I knew I shouldn't, but I went ahead and took out the loan for that car. Now I'm having trouble making those payments. It's a real burden. Listen, sell the car. Yeah, but it's depreciated. It's not even worth what I owe on it right now. Sell the car. Sell it. Get out from under it the best you can. Buy yourself something that's reliable but doesn't cost you 500 bucks a month or whatever you can't afford, and then pay down your debt. So sell something. Now here's the next thing. Write this down. Find a part-time job. Find a part-time job. Or work extra overtime. Income's half the equation. You, you, you have the outgo, which you, can, which you can minimize, but the income also comes into play. And so if you increase, if you increase your income, then you have more to pay down and work against the debt. And that means taking out a part-time job or two extra part-time jobs or taking overtime if that's available to you. And, it's, and it works like this. You, you do things for a while that you don't want to do so that you don't have to do it later. So you get a part-time job at Target during the holidays in order to make a few extra dollars. And you use that to pay down your debt. You do things you don't want to do for a period of time so you don't have to do it after that. And then here's the last point. You want to write this down is pray. Pray because it really works. God's not mad at you. He's not upset with you. He's not angry with you. He just has a better way. 
for us to go forward financially. And so pray. He's the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he owns the hills. He owns everything. He's the owner. And so talk to him about it. He's your friend. He wants to help you. He wants to give you the grace and the courage you need to manage getting out of debt. Now, here's something that no one says out loud, but everyone realizes it. And that is that debt steals your hope. Debt steals your hope. And it's hard to live without hope. But when you've accumulated debt that just crushes you, keeps you down, keeps the foot on the back of your neck, you're actually a slave to it, it ruins your hope and steals your joy. One more verse, look at it with me. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, it's the tree of life. When desire comes, it's the tree of life. One more question and we're done. What could the people of God do for the kingdom of God if we didn't have any payments? What could the people of God do for the kingdom of God if we didn't have any debt? Good question, isn't it? Good question. So let's pause and let's pray about these things. Lord, we bless your people this morning. Bless them in their marriages, their parenting, their friendships, their businesses. Let the truth of your word penetrate our hearts and wrap your arms around everyone because surely, surely, surely there are people in the room today who are hurting, who are scared, who are confused. So whisper your assurance, your peace and hope and remind them that they're not alone, that you are with us and we are in this together and that together we can do it. We can make it. So help us, we pray, to embrace your best plan for our financial lives and then give us the grace and the courage to work the plan. We pray all these things now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Would you stand with us?